0: By bold would you believe it? That sums it all up Hello and welcome back to another episode of that sums it all up. Hope you're all well and have enjoyed yourselves a wonderful Christmas period I'm wishing you all a happy new year of course. It's been a while since we've spoken on the podcast, I think it was actually after the North london Derby at the beginning of November. Things got in the way, busy Christmas period, plenty of work and other bits and bobs going on. But of course, an awful lot has been going on in the footballing world and Arsenal in particular. So, yeah, one of the club's worst periods in recent years, really that came and hopefully went, and things are beginning to look slightly more positive as we enter, well, as we are now in 20, 2021. So, hopefully, there's going to be a more positive year all round, although we will, later on in the podcast, have a think about how the year 2020 went for Arsenal overall. So, for today's podcast, I thought it would be a good idea to catch up with our live-in, that sums it all up, resident Mr. Johnny Rosen, was plenty of football over the last month so plenty to chat about from an Arsenal perspective and from there as I said we'll go on to address Arsenal's year in a broader sense. As always before we get started just a reminder that you can find every episode of that sums it all up on my Mixcloud page Fresh Air Radio's website as well as finding it on my Twitter I'll post the links that's at Alfie Steiner1. Anyway on to with today's show then and we welcome back onto the podcast our good friend Mr Johnny Rosen. Hello there Johnny. A goodly new year to you. How are you?
1: I'm well, thank you. It's a, it's a goodly new year after the last few fixtures. So can't complain too much. How are you?
0: I'm well. I'm I'm back up in Edinburgh and it's Saturday, the 9th of January that we're recording right now. So looking forward to a nice day of the FA Cup. And yeah, I'm pretty well. To be honest, I'm I'm quite uh, like you. As much as I enjoyed the last few games, obviously, because Arsenal won three three on the bounce, I think the intensity of the Christmas period and obviously how challenging it was for Arsenal um, was quite quite difficult to to sort of manage. So I'm, I'm quite enjoying, actually, the fact that we haven't had a game for about a week now and now we've got the FA Cup game. So it's sort of the intensity has sort of petered out slightly and then we go again, obviously, when we start who do we play? I think we've got Crystal Palace next Thursday. Um, but yeah, I'm well. And did you have a did you have a
1: pleasant Christmas period and happy New Year? Yeah, it was very lockdown-y, as it was Lockdown. for everyone. You know, no going out, no big New Year's Eve celebrations. Just was with family and and my girlfriend. So kept it very chill, but it was nice. I I, I like that. I don't like, I can't stand all this going out. I think New Year's Eve is often a bit, it's a bit overhyped, so. You don't, don't fancy, like
0: what, back in the day, you didn't fancy splashing out on like a £50 ticket to an event on New Year's Eve and, and
1: going clubbing with, with, the, with the Mandem? I don't think I ever really did clubbing at to like an event on New Year's Eve. few house parties. Or, yeah, um, going out. Primrose or... Hill when I was younger. Yeah. That was a classic.
0: Going out on New Year's really doesn't appeal to me. Uh, like you, I had a nice sort of quiet New Year's um, spent with those nearest and dearest to me. So that was that was pleasant. But look, so we, we haven't spoken for a while, actually, on on the podcast. And I think the last time we did was the last episode of the show. And we were talking about Arsenal's 2-0 defeat to Spurs. Um, mm. And obviously, we were in a bit of a difficult patch at that point, I think that was obviously a really hard result to take and things were looking pretty worrying given that I think we'd we'd lost to Villa and no, we'd lost to Leicester and then we'd lost to Villa and then we'd lost to Wolves, I think, and then we'd lost to Spurs. Mm -hmm. And the sort of quality of performances and the morale and everything was really looking like it. it was on a knife's edge. It could have gone one way or the other. And I don't think we were, or at least me, I wasn't, I was really concerned that I didn't. I couldn't necessarily see a way out for um, the team and Mikel Arteta. More importantly, because there was literally nothing going right, uh, going well on on the pitch, really. But yeah, it was. Um, and then of course we lost to. I mean, after that, who do we lose to? Lost to Burnley. Burnley. Home, and we had the Granit Xhaka uh, red card. I mean, drew Southampton at home. With Gabrielle getting sent off, uh, and then we lost to Everton two one, thrashed four one in the Carabao Cup. So I think, I mean, that was a really tough, tough old period. And I think you know, we it was it was sort of quite shocking that we were back at that place, which was about a year ago when things were terrible under Emery, and it was it was pretty reminiscent of that. Do you not think?
1: Mm. I didn't think. It actually was ever as bad performances-wise as that kind of last Emery period where, you know, when we drew 2-2 at home to Southampton in the last minute and no one celebrated and we lost at home to Brighton and we drew at home to Wolves and we maybe we didn't lose as many games as that run under Arteta that we had recently, but God, the performances I thought were really bad and... You know, we had three. We did have three red cards, I think, in four games over this period. With Pepe's against Leeds, Xhaka against uh, Burnley, Gabriel against Southampton, and if who knows? Like, I think if Xhaka doesn't get sent off, we win that game. Mm. We, I mean, we were all over Burnley prior to that red card in the first fifteen minutes of the second half. So. Yeah, I took a bit of solace from the performances and the fight. I thought the Everton game was very poor, but I thought Southampton and and Burnley up until the red card were good. And then look, I wasn't expecting us to put out the bag against Chelsea, but that that was a huge win, and and mm. it looks like maybe we've started to turn a corner.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's interesting actually because I think you one can definitely draw comparisons. You know, given that sort of this period, the most recent period where we'd lost all those games was was about a year on from when Emery was sacked and Arteta was uh, became manager, and obviously you can draw comparisons because it's a large by and large the same group of players, and we've seen it all before. But what you do, what you say there, the fact that the performances as bad as they might have been, there was still, you could tell that the players were giving it a real go that, you know, once you start seeing, like we did in that Southampton draw, you know, last yeah. year, with Emery, Lacazette scoring in the in the last minute and he just looks like he didn't even want to score the goal. Whereas at the moment or, or in that recent tough period, you know, the players were giving it a go. It didn't look like they, like they were necessarily downing tools and there were slight rumours of, of training around, unrest and all of this sort of stuff which is inevitable to sort of come to the forefront of our like discussions when we go through periods like this but yeah like you say the, the context of getting those red cards which I do think was sort of wrapped up in the the general um difficulties that you know the team mm-hmm. and our saw we having at the time but it's really difficult to judge sort of where we might have been if the, these things didn't happen uh but yeah, so it, you know, nothing was going for for Arteta or the team, and like you say, so we we went into the Chelsea game. Was it? It was Boxing Day, wasn't it? And Boxing Day. Yeah. I don't think you know we hadn't. So we hadn't won a, a domestic game then since the beginning of November. November
1: first. Yeah, yeah, when
0: beaten uh, Manchester United, which you know, when you compare what that was about, what just a uh, nearly two months. Um, and, you know, you sort of look at the team after that United game. You're like, right? I remember all the the post match analysis and saying Arsenal are, are sort of better than United, and we're going to finish above them. It looks like that at the moment. And then, you know, we're sort of come come 26th of December, looking over our shoulder. People like Alan Shearer are saying that we're going to get relegated, which I think was just a bit ridiculous. But you know, we were we were really down there, and I I for one really <laughs> worried that. If we got bashed around by Chelsea at home before the run of fixtures where you say, right, this is Arteta's sort of last, <laughs> last chance saloon. If he struggles, if he doesn't pick up the points against Brighton, West Brom and Crystal Palace, then there's no way back. But he gave himself and the team gave themselves an excellent platform to build on, hopefully, with that brilliant 3-1 win over over Chelsea and all the things that we sort of were becoming emblematic of, of Arsenal, you know, terrible performances, morale, confidence, everything just absolutely in the toilet. Um, and then we pulled that out of the bag. So how did you, how did you feel going into, into the Chelsea game
1: um, and your reaction to it? I mean, going into it, I honestly, I would have taken a draw. Mm. I watched the game with my dad, and we both said, "Look, if we can get a draw, nil nil, keep a clean sheet, or two 2 score a few goals, show that there's something about us creatively. I think there's something to build on." You got to bear in mind that Chelsea, you know, obviously they've fallen off a bit in the past few games, but going into the Arsenal game, they were still, you know, kind of flying high, top six, mm. looking like they can mount some sort of challenge. To the title because it seems wide open this year, definitely in the race for top four, as I think they still are. So we said, Yeah, you know, I was thinking I'll take a draw. Really didn't expect us, obviously, didn't think anyone expected us to win 3 1. But I mean, just uh, what a game. From, yeah. From the, from the beginning, I thought, um, well, my dad actually said about five, 10 minutes in, he was like, This is going to be the best half we've played all season. Like he was like, I can tell by the way they've started. And I was like, really? Like, I was a bit more sceptical. And then as the half unfolded, because obviously they had that chance at the beginning with the free kick when Mount hit the post. And I was like, well, let's see how things play out. But by 20 minutes in, we looked comfortable. We were on top. Mm. And and it ended up being the most enjoyable 90 minutes of football. Or, yeah, well, 90 until the penalty. Um could have gone... Terribly wrong. <laughs> yeah, it could have been the best 89 minutes of football, and then we draw 3-3. But no, it ended up being the best game of the season for me so far, so I can't complain. Yeah, and I
0: think you know we we I, no one expected us really to 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 win that game and win 3-1. And I think you know well why because everything, as I said, was was completely um, you know we hadn't seen anything from the team that would suggest maybe that, you know, there were flashes maybe of, you know, in the desperate last moments against Everton and Southampton, there were times where the team looked as if they, they could, they might have the tools to sort of, you know, dig themselves out of this, this, you know, ever deepening hole that they found themselves in. But I mean, Chelsea, and I think, you know, we didn't expect it and we didn't expect, you know, the likes of Emile Smith-Rowe to start um, in that game. I think that was a bit of a surprise, and that sort of, you know, kickstarted and Martinelli, of course, Gabriel Martinelli, uh, making his, well, I think it was his first start, and, you know, we just looked at an entirely different proposition, confidence-wise, mentality-wise, really giving it a go, sort of uh, the shackles released slightly, and it really was just a breath of fresh air, and you know, we saw <laughs> saw Granite Zaca banging a. A screamer from a free kick, which, you know, again, it's like the first game back, he's back after a three-game suspension. And then he does that and has a great game. And it's just like, you can't write this. Like, it's just so classic Arsenal that, you know, in a game where we weren't expecting to win, you have Granit Xhaka scoring a free kick like that. And of course, Bukayo Saka was brilliant. And he's been, I think he's got, he's he's looked even better over the last few weeks, Um, I think. Yeah, having him... His confidence is... With smith moment. Yeah, and Smith-Dorough and, and, and Bakayi Saka's partnership looks looks excellent and, and extremely promising. But, yeah, it was, like you said, it could have gone if we had drawn that game and, and we were pretty close to. Uh, we are quite lucky. And obviously, Ben Leno saved the Jorginho penalty. Um, things could look slightly different. And then, so, yeah, won a win. And then the Brighton game... Lacazette comes off, comes on from the bench, and Bakaya Saka sets him up, get a 1-0 win. And then absolutely batter Sam Allardyce's West Brom, which I think many people found, you know, one of the most enjoyable performances of from a long, you know, for a long time because we just hadn't seen Arsenal score those sorts of goals. The movement was fluid, the young players playing with a swagger, some of the more experienced. Um, players like Lacazette and Hector Bellerin, not so much in the West Brom game, but you know the the team was looking like it it worked and it was more connected. And I don't think we can say that for sort of the team over the last few months. It's looked so disconnected. So, what stood out for you really in those in those three games? We talked briefly about the Chelsea game, but you know three wins on the bounce, which I don't think we've had for a long, long time. Um, but you know, there's reasons for that. So I just wanted to pick your brains on that one.
1: I mean, aside from the obvious of Saka, M.L. Smith-Rowe, I mean, the obvious injection of youth into the mm. team that I think everyone would say really stuck out. A few things that maybe slipped under the radar a bit more. I think, firstly, and I, I'm his biggest critic, but I think and Jack has been, Brilliant since he returned from suspension, and has, has barely put a foot wrong uh, in the Chelsea game, in the Brighton game, in the West Brom game. He's um, and we know he's capable of these kind of bursts, kind of three to six game bursts of really good solid performances. Then he'll do something stupid like you know, assault a fan or get a get a red card like Ab- three a red player by, in a
0: game. Grab a player by the throat who's trying to like diffuse the situation.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can never trust him fully. So there's always a bit of apprehension when he's on the pitch, but his performances in the past three games have been very good. And I think that deserves to be you know, put out there and he he needs to be recognized from that. Look, I, I I'm of the opinion that I definitely sell him in the summer. But mm. if we can get a good Granit for the next five months, it's only going to benefit our team because he's a very influential player in the squad. Everyone, a lot of the young players, they look up to him. Um, Arteta obviously thinks very highly of him. So, yeah, it's, I've, I've noticed that and I thought that was a big positive as well as the Marie and Holding partnership. Mm. You know, I think a lot of people... Were dismissive of Pablo Mari when we signed him. I I I like to think of myself as someone who wasn't in that camp, and I always thought he was quite a positive, astute signing, eight million pounds uh, from Flamengo. And as a as a deputy to Gabriel or left or any left sided centre back, you know he looks really good. He looks like he can really do a job at Premier League level. I was worried that if he get caught for pace. But, you know, so far he handled himself very well against Werner to the extent that Werner was subbed at halftime. Um, obviously, West Brom and Brighton aren't the paciest of teams, but they posed different threats in their own way. And he he stood up to them and, you know, two, two clean sheets, one goal conceded in the last three games. You can't take that away from him as centre-back and also holding looks like a completely different player from the player we saw three months ago, two months ago. So no those have been two positives. And then I would say Kieran Tierney as well is just the captain and waiting, really. I don't know. I I s I don't know what you think, but yeah. I just love him. Yeah, he's he's obviously great. And that goal
0: and the the whole sort of landscape and setting for that West Brom game and the snow and everyone mm. loves for his short sleeves and all of that sort of stuff and then he takes the game by the scruff of the neck and and sort of bombs down the left wing plants a delightful curling finish in the top right hand corner and you see his celebration You're just like no wonder this guy is so popular among the fans and seemingly among the players as well um you know and is he knows as Arteta said I think He knows what to say. He knows how to apply himself. And yeah, for for me, he's been an excellent, um, he's been excellent over the last few games. And yeah, I mean, that was that was one thing we didn't touch on in, in the Chelsea game. Pablo Marie starting was also a bit of a surprise. I know Gabriel was suspended, but, you know, sort of we hadn't seen much of him. And these players who sort of gone under the radar, haven't really had a look in, I know Pablo Marie's not a youngster, but the likes of Smith-Rowe and Martinelli, obviously coming back from injury. And, you know, they, they, they've shown that they're they, they're capable of performing better than certain other players at the moment in that position. Uh, thinking of Willian, um, unfortunately, Nicola Pepe, who maybe we'll have a brief word on soon. Mm. Abamyang, even, sort of, I know he was a bit injured, but, um, you know, I'm slightly less concerned about him because over the last couple of games, he hasn't scored, but he's been getting into those positions and, you know, it is a slight concern, but still, you know, players have come in and shown that they can do the job or they are, they can either do what Arteta's is asking in a way that some of the other guys clearly couldn't, or we just needed a sort of complete injection of something new and they're showing that they can do it. You know, the, the holding Marie partnership, I don't think anyone would have anticipated that maybe that would be sort of at this moment in time, the the strongest pairing, given the likes of mate, you know, I know Gabrielle's coming back from his from his bout of COVID, David Louise there. But I don't think you can sort of change that 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 defensive partnership at the moment. You know, Thomas Partey coming back as well. You know, I love I like the fact I don't love Granite Xhaka, I like the fact that he's <laughs> he's performed well after his sending off, but I almost feel like after that sending off, that that in a weird way fuels him to to play better, and it it just is is a bit of a a demonstration of his sort of self centered um, way of of motivating himself. And I know we could we need to get what we can out of him, but dep- being dependent or reliant on someone like that is is unsustainable. So, you know, hopefully, maybe he can do a job next to Thomas Partey, but you know, he's so he wants it all to go through him. And sometimes it's great, you know, he like in the Chelsea game, but I don't really want to pair him with Thomas Partey and sort of, you know, Xhaka taking the keys and and sort of wanting to dictate the pace of things. That's not what we want because we've been seeing that over the last few years. And sometimes it's good, but more than often than not, it's it's not effective. Um but yeah, you know, those those things really stood out. Those those players performing well, the youngsters, the blend of youngsters and more senior players who maybe we hadn't anticipated would be the senior players that the younger players would be relying on you know think think of Lacazette who's looked so much better these past few games with mm. movement around him and being able to link link with people and you know pop a pass off to the right or left and then have people running beyond him i just think we there's been such a lack of that over the last couple of months and yeah as a result of all of that three wins and then you know, we can slowly start to look up the table as opposed to down because, I mean, it just shows how condensed the table is. We're sort of three points off Chelsea now who obviously are going through a bit of a tough time and I'm pretty sure I think Lampard might get sacked, but we'll see. Well, uh, I hope not. Yeah, I hope not either. <laughs> and, you know, we're six points off Spurs and fourth, I know they've they've played the game less, but, you know, we are 12 points away from relegation. So it just shows it's mm-hmm. still... The very early days in the table and I know we're nearly halfway through the season which is a bit strange but everything's still so clumped together so you know these wins if we win if we win against uh, we've got three home games now I know Newcastle are in the cup and then we've got Palace at home Newcastle at home that's another two wins on the trot and then we've got five wins in a row before we get into a bit of a more of a challenging period got the likes of Thomas Partey back fully fit who I think is basically I know it's cliche but is like a new signing, because we've seen him for a total of, what, like three and a half games, and it was so obvious that he was, you know, he was going to be crucial to this team and the way that it functions, and we just haven't had him, and we've had to rely on Granite Jacker and El Elneny and Ceballos, so no wonder sort of why maybe our performances have been that much worse, because the midfield that we knew was broken and we fixed it by signing him. We just haven't had the player who we brought in to do that. Um, but yeah, let's let's have a brief word on um, on the underperforming players, perhaps, or at least the players who maybe at the moment aren't really worth, you know, worthy of selection. Because you think of maybe on paper sort of what we maybe thought at the beginning of the season a front three or four might look like Aubameyang through the middle, Pepe down the right, Willian maybe sort of dropping in between the lines, Saka on the left or something like that. But at the moment, based on current form, you'd say Willian has obviously been pretty diabolical since he's come in. I mean, maybe it's harsh, and I think it's very easy to get drawn into that.
1: Hang on, hang on. He had his second shot on target against (laughs) West Brom, so don't be too harsh. That was big.
0: Yeah, and, and then Pepe now finds himself sort of third-choice right-winger, I think, which mm. is, I think it's just really a really bitter pill to swallow for Arsenal fans. Um, again, you can't really complain because Saka's playing so well and the team are winning, but it's a shame that, you know, the, the sort of experience, expensive assets that we've got at the moment, i.e. Pepe, Willian, who we're paying a fair bit of money to, and Abamyang, sort of not, Necessarily part of this attacking resurgence. Um, what do you make of sort of those players and and their role and sort of what you anticipate? Yeah, their role being as as, as the season progresses.
1: Well, I think the first thing is I would still keep Bamiyang separate from the likes of William and Pepe. Obviously, he yeah he never really gets injured, but he got injured and was nursing in. Uh, a knock or a small injury. The past few games was eased back in against Brighton. Played against West Brom. I thought his his game against West Brom was was typical of Bamiang. You know he's a low touch forward who operates within the width of the the penalty box and usually scores one or two touch finishes. He's not going to pick the ball up and drive at defenders. He's not a hazard or Salah kind of player. Mm. And and he had a he had a very typical Abamiang game, like a, a good game. Mm. Uh, except the fact that he didn't score. If he kind of gets onto that sack across in the first five, 10 minutes and puts that in the back of the net, you're saying, well, this is a brilliant performance by him. He's got the goal. He's helped the team. You know, he was integral to the the fourth goal playing in Tierney, who then assisted Lacazette, worked his socks off as usual. So I think Abamiang He's, he's kind of been a bit unlucky the last two games. He had a good chance against Brighton that was a very good reflex save by their keeper uh, at the start of the second half. And look, if he scores that, and if he scores against West Brom, saying two and two, mm. and he's kind of back, back, to, back to top form. With Willian and Pepe, I think, I think Willian rightfully should be on our bench in the best of times. I don't want to see him taking minutes away from Saka. Saka on the right looks as good, if not better, than Saka on the left. Mm. And with Martinelli playing from the left, I just think a front three of Martinelli, Saka, and then Bamiang or Lacazette um, going forward, it has to be Arteta's priority because Martinelli and Saka, I think, are generational talents who really could be, you know, if they dedicate themselves to Arsenal Football Club and they stay here for 10 years, they could be right up there and amongst the, great, the greatest players of the Emirates era or the modern, modern Arsenal history. But yeah, and then Pepe. Pepe is the most worrying one because we've sunk so much capital into him financially. So much hope as well has been attached to him. He's our record signing and yeah i i would be surprised if he plays for us next season which is which is worrying i think because that yeah you know, if we sell him it's not going to be for 72 million definitely mm-hmm. not in the covid market and uh but i i can't really see a way back for him i mean what what what, what do you think
0: yeah i mean let, let's 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 um let's think about pepe first he I think the first thing to say is obviously we all know that we're massively overpaid. And I think the club acknowledged that. Sure, acknowledged that. And, you know, mm. there's a reason that I think that was definitely a contributing factor to the whole investigation into the, into the dealings and, and Tim Lewis sort of getting involved and then Ralph and yeah, he losing his job. I, 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 you know, the way in which we're using managing and using our resources, I think has come into question. And you can see that we massively overpaid for Pepe and and it's been acknowledged sort of by various footballing figures around the world and agents that, you know, he was not a 72 million pound player. So I think from the off, that sort of sets him up for relative failure or inability to live up to that price tag, which at the end of the day is what you judge players like that you know, on and being a winger who that type of player is going to lose the ball. He's, he's, you know, he's not someone who's necessarily going to seize the game by the scruff of the neck. Like we sort of hope he, you know, there's been flashes of it, but consistency has been his sort of biggest downfall. And I think Arteta just doesn't really fancy him. Having said that, you know, i I still think, you know, we'll, we'll see more of him. I think he'll probably start in the FA cup today, And I'd really like to see more of him because as an Arsenal fan, obviously you want to see your record signing, someone who's exciting as well, sort of come good. And maybe it is the case that, you know, in the summer, we try and sell him, cut our losses. Maybe that's the sort of more ruthless thing that we need to do and not sort of keep investing in in players who, you know, aren't really going to cut the mustard if we could get maybe, I don't know, half or just over half of that money back, you know, can that be allocated to sort of areas of the pitch that needs strengthening? If Saka is, you know, going to look so brilliant on the right-hand side, then maybe it's not so much of an issue. And, and sometimes it just doesn't work with players at certain clubs. And and maybe it doesn't work with, with Pepe at Arsenal under Arteta. I mean, I hope that Arteta continues to work with him. And I'm sure he will. And maybe it will come good. And he, maybe he'll get his chance again at some point in this season, but it is a real shame because he looked at the end of last season, like he was really beginning to kick on. And mm. then we bring in Willian, who at the time you sort of, we were trying to convince ourselves or, or, or reason with ourselves why he might've been brought in. And we did not think it would be to start on the right wing really in place of Pepe. But again, it's just sort of it. It's, it's testament to this disconnected sort of strategy and, Pepe being signed by someone who's not now no longer at the club and then Arteta comes in and he wants to play a certain way and have his own players. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, Pepe's been slightly a victim of that. And I know maybe he's not he's not been good enough consistently on the pitch, but I don't think everything that's been going on at the club behind the scenes and on the pitch as well has, has necessarily helped his case, which is a bit of a shame um, because, like you, I'm sure... You know, we we as Arsenal fans we get excited by these sorts of players and are desperate for them to succeed because we've, you know, we're sort of proud of having expensive talents at the club. Um, Aubameyang, look, he he's the fact is he's getting chances over the last couple of games, and that's the most promising thing. I don't really care that he doesn't score and other people are scoring. The fact that he's getting into those areas that we want to see him in and getting on the end of things is so promising because that's his game and he's been starved of that service for for you know quite a while now so I'm hoping that he can sort of he'll get a goal and then you know start kicking on from there and hopefully he can become part of this this you know attacking um, resurgence like I mentioned earlier Lacazette's look pretty good but I don't see us offering him a new contract, so he's probably going to go in the summer. So that begs the question, well, how do you manage sort of Lacazette and Aubameyang? And I know there's plenty of football to play, so maybe that won't be too much of an issue. And sometimes you play Aubameyang down the left because Martinelli can't play every game coming back from a knee injury. Saka's looked... Like different gravy. He just looks like his, his level's been raised and confidence and swagger about him. You know, when he was running down that right against West Brom and sort of doing those stepovers, cutting in on his left foot,
1: mm.
0: you know, really piercing it into the back back post, he just looks so brilliant. And I thought, wow, this guy is the, the levels being raised at the moment. He's really carried this team through the difficult period and he's being rewarded now with players who can sort of you know, he can play with effectively. He's not the only one who can play like that. He's got Smith Rowe, he's got Martinelli, youthful, exuberant, sort of energetic players. Lacazette works with with him as well. So we're seeing partnerships develop, which is really promising. And yeah, I guess at the moment, we can't really complain. It's just a shame that we've allocated so much money into certain players who aren't necessarily contributing at the moment. But I guess... If it's working without them, then we sort of have to accept that. But, you know, that sort of brings us on to, to January and the sort of shape of the squad. Um, what do you make of, how do you view the January transfer window? And I know, you know, we've seen a couple of bodies already gone out, but is it more of a case of trying to whittle down the numbers as opposed to signing, I don't know, another attacking midfielder? Where, where do you stand on that sort of? um issue
1: um for me i mean the, the january transfer window is notoriously tricky and mm. i think that's now tenfold the case because of covid and mm. the effect that that's had on the transfer market and clubs don't have funds and obviously they, i know it's not transfer related but we've just taken out 120 million pound loan because of a cash flow issue at the club and um and this this window in particular, I will be very surprised if we see any new faces come in. Um, obviously, that's leaving aside Omar Raikik, who has already joined from Hertha Berlin, who, which I think is a, a, quite a good signing. I'll be interested to see when Saliba comes back from his loan, which of those two gets uh, the more first team opportunities. Saliba. <laughs> You'd hope Saliba, Um, but but aside from the price tag, I don't think there's too much that separates those two. I mean, Saliba has more first-team experience than Rikik, but he's very highly rated uh, in Germany. Hertha are a good team. Uh, He would have learned a lot about Arsenal from Guendouzi, who's also on loan there. And so I I think that's a really good signing, £540,000 we signed him for. It's an interesting one. It's a bit like uh, when we signed Thomas Eisfeld a few years ago. Well, a long, a long time ago, we actually, in the January window. Yeah, uh, that was for a similar price tag. Very highly rated out of Germany, he never lived up to the billing. But anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. Yeah, in general, yeah. I think I think this this January transfer window has to be about cutting bodies down. We've already seen Kalazenich's gone, Saliba's gone on loan. I think within a matter of weeks, if not days, Socrates and Ozil should be gone, which those are the big ones. And then maybe if we can move Mustafi as well, this window, you'd have to take your hats off to Edu and Arteta for getting those mm. five players out of the club. I mean, Saliba for very different reasons to the other four who obviously just don't have any future with us, but... Yeah, it, it, our squad is bloated, we've got players, none more so than Ozil, um, who are sitting there on a ridiculous wage, literally not even registered, can't contribute anything, and it, they need to go, and I think this, this window has to be about that, and, and the signs of, from the first week and what I've been hearing from sources, it, it's very promising, the movements inside the club to, to clear mm. a few bodies.
0: Yeah, I don't think we can underestimate as well, you know, but it's obvious from from a financial point of view that we need to get these players off the books as soon as possible. But we can't underestimate the, you know, I know Saliba is very different to, to the, someone like Ozil, but actually you can draw the comparison that these players who aren't involved are in and around training, in and around the first team, you know aware that they're not part of the plans and that sort of attitude and you know almost elephant in the room that these guys are training with people and then you get split off between first team training and you know all of it is just is is a recipe for sort of discontent and like you say a bloated squad I don't think we can quite understand the, the sort of consequences of that it's something that's slightly less it's not such a tangible thing you can say like right well this is why we're we're not doing well, but I think it probably plays a significant sort of uh, factor in in why maybe Arteta's struggled with managing the squad and the, just the numbers are, are way too way too way too big. So as you say, it's really important that we get the likes of Snatch out on loan, which we've done. Zaliba mm-hmm. too for his his own development, but also you know you don't want someone who's unhappy. Everyone can see it at the club, uh, you know, around the team, the likes of Ozil. Even, you know, a couple of younger players maybe who aren't getting minutes. I think of like Reese Nelson. He can't be too content with what's going on at the moment. And of course, he's sort of in... He sees some of the younger players getting loads of minutes and I know maybe he's been injured, but, you know, trimming the squad and, and having a smaller group of players to work with who Arteta wants to work with, you know, there's about five or six of them, probably a few more, who he does not really see featuring long-term in his plans. And I know he has to make Mm -hmm. most of what he's got, but I think, yeah, as you say, as much as maybe we should sign some sort of creative backup or competition for Smith Rowe, I don't know if it will happen only if the right player, the right price or the right loan, you know, deal comes available, then we do it. But, you know, getting the bodies out is, is crucial. This, this window and, ahead of the summer as well. You know, a lot of them will be gone by then anyway, but if we can get them out now, I think that's really important for the second half of the season and freeing up sort of money prior to next summer and, you know, pressing ahead with various plans, maybe other targets too. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's all in all after, you know, thinking about players leaving in January, um, you know, three wins on the bounce, Thomas Partey returning Things are looking up, sort of going in as we're entering 2021, do we not think?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, they, you couldn't put it any other way. After the back end of 2020 was just so dire, it's been a good start to the year from a, from a footballing point of view. I think, you know, also going back to what you are saying with the transfer situation, the bloated squad, it's also very hard for Arteta to coach when he's got half a dozen players who they know they're not going to play any games. The other players know they're not going to play any games, but yet they're consistently training with the team. You know, a lot of there was something that came out about Ozil still training at a very high level, and that leads to confusion about why he's not registered and why he can't play amongst members of the squad and. It, it's just it's time to just draw a line and really get them out. There's, and I also think there is, a, you know, a notable difference between the players who are looking to move on this January and the players who will be leaving in the summer automatically. For instance, David Luiz's contract's up yeah. in June, but there's no talk of him leaving in January because I think Arteta, Edu, the squad, recognise that for the next six months he'll be a valuable player. Mm. to have as part of of the squad part of the roster whereas Mustafa or Socrates you know and it's it's a shame i i personally really like socrates and i think he's been quite a you know valiant servant of the club while he's played for us but is mm. not in our plans at all mm. and so it doesn't make any difference whether he goes now on a free or in june it's just he needs to be off the books it's so just,
0: it's it's all so- it's just complicated having those sorts of players mm. in, around the place and, you know, good friends. You think the likes of Kolasinac, that little group, Kolasinac, almost Mustafi. You know, then you've got the likes of who who's good, sort of, very pally with Bamiang with and Lacazette. And it's just, you know, it just breeds complication and uneasiness and difficulty between manager players. You know, you just want a more... Balanced, um, you know, uh, less toxic, messy sort of place around London Colney, and with all these players not playing, both in a simple, simple way, there's just too many players for training for all of that sort of stuff. It just, it's not, um, it's not feasible. It's not, it's not optimal sort of conditions for for managers and all of that sort of stuff. But at the same time. You just need to get these guys out from for so many reasons. So, you know, that 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 will hopefully be a, a very a very promising thing uh in this transfer window. Um just as before we finish up, uh given that we're talking about things looking up uh this year, let's 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 cast our eye back briefly over over the year that Arsenal have had. I mean, football obviously has faced unprecedented changes and challenges, as we all have, but Arsenal included. Um, so it's been a real sort of topsy-turvy year. And, you know, there's been good things, there's been bad things. But do you want to just go through some of the things that stand out for you as as real positives of the year? Uh, and then we'll maybe talk about the less positive things before looking ahead and finishing up for today.
1: Sure. I mean, if there's one other thing on the transfer side that I can yeah, add quickly... Sure. Which is speaking about how the squad is at the moment. It reminds me a lot of the squad in 2013. And I just pulled up the transfers for Arsenal Football Club for 2013. And these are the players that left in 2013 Park Chu Young, Frimpong, Shamak, Javinio, Arshavin, Squalachu. You know, and that those six players are quite reminiscent of, and they cost less, but Mustafi, Ozil, Kalasnic, David Luiz, you know, kind of players that aren't quite at the level to play for Arsenal Football Club and just need to be moved on. And lo, lo and behold, once those six players left, we went on, we won two FA Cups in two years. We finished mm-hmm. second in the league the, the in that third season. Ozil and Sanchez came in. And look, I'm not saying... That's going to happen now, but it just reminds me of those kind of players are very similar to the the types of players.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's moving, moving away. Now. From, it's moving away from a like you say, those sort of players were very much part of a period of Arsenal's, you know, first team who contributed, but we all knew that they weren't good enough, really. But mm. the, their effects around the training ground and contributions on the pitch, they were moved on, and we were able to then progress to a new group and core of players and it's the same with these guys you know they've been very much part of the last few years of mediocrity and decline you know the mm-hmm. likes of Mustafi, Socratis, however maybe he's contributed David Luiz even, Ozil I know he was you know he was, he was pretty good for for a couple of years three years four years before basically up until he signed his new contract but moving yeah. from these players who have have been an intrinsic part of, you know, our failure over the last few years, so that we can start moving in a new direction. It's just going to be so beneficial for Arteta, for the club, for the players, for just everything. It's just and for the and for the guys that aren't playing football, let them go and do their jobs, basically.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a natural parting of the ways, and and it'll be a big, you know, breath of fresh air, weight off everyone's shoulders. Yeah. Come July first, twenty twenty one. And all of these players have gone, whether that's just by their contract expiring or they've joined a new club. We know it's around the corner now. It's it's, it's happening. If it doesn't happen this month, then it has to happen at the end of June. And and yeah, it just reminded me of that summer where Andre Santos left and Shamak left. And these were players that they tried, but they just weren't up to the level of Arsenal Football Club and they had to go after three seasons of being there. Mm. But um, that was just a quick other thing about the transfers. Obviously, we wanted to speak about the highs and lows of 2020. Surely the only place to start is with the FA Cup win.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, everyone can sort of, maybe the FA Cup win sort of raised expectations beyond what was possible and realistic in terms of where the team and squad were at. But I don't think we can underestimate how good that that experience was and the performance mm. in the final against Chelsea uh, and Manchester City, you know, Bamiyang scoring, you know, four goals in two games against uh, City and Chelsea. I mean, even saying that right now makes me smile because it was just great. You know, those goals against City on the break, and I know we've setting up in a certain way, and then beating Chelsea in the final and just those brilliant movements down the left-hand side, Um it was it was a great experience, and you know, guaranteed us qualification for the Europa League. Who knows whether that will have sort of a bearing on the success or relative success or failure of our season this this year? But yeah, that FA Cup victory, beating those big sides, was was a brilliant, brilliant uh, time. So, hundred percent. I think that's what that's basically the main thing this year. I mean, on the pitch as well. Like we say, beating the likes of Chelsea bigger team, City, Liverpool a couple of times or three times. Mm. I know one of them was on penalties in the Carabao Cup, United, that that two-nil victory actually at the start of the start of 2020 at the Emirates. I think Pepe scored and was it Socratis as well? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And then beating one 0 more recently, that Thomas Partey game, basically. Um yeah. and I suppose coming through this tough period, hopefully, it could also be one of those good moments that we look back on uh, for the year and say, right, well, this is, this was maybe a turning point or a, a real positive, but yeah, on, on the pitch, those were sort of the main things, I think competing against the bigger teams and hopefully now starting to show that we're a team who can develop in a in an attacking sense and better against the smaller teams. But was there anything else sort of on the pitch that, that were the real, the real high points for you?
1: Um Aside from the, obviously the big wins, the cups. I mean, can we count the Community Shield? I guess. I guess we can beat Liverpool to win it. So, and Anna Bamiang scored another brilliant goal at Wembley in that game. So that was that was five and three against Liverpool City and Chelsea mm. on the way to two trophies. So those were those that were those were my really high points. I also think the emergence of Saka as a genuine. You know nailed on starter now for the first team. He got given the number seven shirt at the end of last season, and he you think now he's really cemented his place as an Arsenal starter. Even at nineteen, he just looks brilliant. And I I have my doubts about him last season, but the more I watched him this season, and what just focused on his movement, where he picked the ball up, where how he turned. I just was like this just he's just like he's a caliber above anything we've produced maybe uh, since Wilshire
0: yeah and I and I think you know we're watching him and we're seeing in front of our eyes a player who is developing at an unbelievable rate mm. and that is something to be so proud of and I think one of the one of the massive positives of the year was was signing him to a new new contract um mm. And, you know, we also did that with Martinelli, which hopefully, which will be massively beneficial for the club. I mean, Bamiyang at the time, I think, was was celebrated as a new contract, as a, as a great success. I mean, I look back at that whole Instagram announcement now, sort of just being a bit like, Ooh, well, that hasn't paid that well at the moment. Um, and maybe it will over the next sort of second half of the season because it's it's not been a great half of the season for Bamiang but for the team as well. So, um, you know, and then the signings of Gabriel and Partey, hopefully again, at the end of the season, we can look back on them and say, they've been great. And, you know, Gabriel, I think already has, has proven to be a shrewd purchase. We haven't seen enough of Partey, but we know that there's a real player there. So those sort of positive things, um, and yeah, the sort of first half of Arteta's reign, I know it sort of all came crashing down sort of over the last few months, but you know, establishing that defensive framework, a more sort of um, disciplined approach to games. And I think that was more than anything sort of dictated by the frequency of, of playing these huge sides. And maybe it was a case of not being able to start developing a more sort of expansive and, and sort of... Um, what Arteta wanted to see from his team because he was playing Liverpool and City every, every other week. Yeah. He didn't have the time or the, mm. you know, in this COVID, in this crazy, I don't think we can underestimate how much Arteta has not had sort of the ideal sort of pathway as a, as a first year, as a manager. I mean, it's just incomprehensible what, he, what he's had to go through. And I know everyone's had to do it as well, but from a, You know, it's it's really difficult to sort of look past that and think he didn't have a preseason. He had all these crazy games against big clubs. He had that three-month gap, which probably didn't do him any favours. All the games afterwards behind closed doors, it's just like it's unprecedented what as a manager he's had to go through. So I think, you know, the positive signs of his first year are are definitely positive. Um, It's just a shame that they were sort of undone um, in such terrible fashion um over the last few months. But yeah, as you say, there were some real positives of the year. The bad before we before we look ahead and conclude sort of where we are and, and how things are looking up. Um, there were there were some some bad things that happened this year from an Arsenal point of view, were there not?
1: There I there were, but I was as you were speaking, I was thinking about the bad. And then I was thinking about any other positives that we might have missed. And I think the main positive that we have missed and maybe it's the biggest of them all, in, you know, including the FA Cup win, is I think the club and the fan base has united over the last year. Twenty nineteen, from an Arsenal perspective, was such a divisive year, mm. with you know the the Emery reign and going on that kind of twenty two unbeaten run at the start of his tenure as manager, mm. losing out on Champions League football kind of in May, April 2019 when we lost 3-2 at home to Palace, drew drawing with Brighton, mm. then getting absolutely thrashed in Baku by Chelsea to then what was, I think, definitely my worst sort of four or five months as an Arsenal fan, that back end of 2019 until Arteta came in uh, right at the end before the start of 2020. It was such a toxic year and Every time I listen to Ars Blog or you know any other Arsenal podcast, you just feel so downbeat. There was there were there were there were no straws to clutch at. Whereas I think during twenty twenty, and this recent spell with Arteta, um, where we went on a tough period, there were definitely short-clutch that we were like, well, party's out and we're getting red cards every game and mm. look, the, the team are performing and defensively teams aren't just walking through us like they were. And I think over the last year, we've seen a lot less infighting. The Arsenal Twitter community is a great place to be. Mm. It's, it, it's very open. You can express your views on the club. You don't get attacked. It's People are there to listen and mm. we've got great people like Obviously Ars blog Ghana blog David Ornstein, um, Clive and that group. It's just it's just been great to have that all united. So that that for me that's a massive positive.
0: Yeah, that's a really, really interesting point, actually, because I think it's very easy to sort of get sidetracked to the, the on-pitch issues. But yeah, as you say, that was a major issue at the time, the sort of toxicity. Um, of you know the fan base and just around the Mm. club and I think that's why I was so concerned um you know more recently And, and as much as there were things to hold on to I thought if this was gonna sort of play out how it could have and sort of unravel in such a terrible fashion it would have really been such a difficult thing to to again come back from, you know, all the positive strides that were taken from that real toxic bad place that the club were at before Arteta came in and then sort of appear to make such progress and move strides forward from that. And then for it to sort of just be too, too much to sort of come back from. And I'm so glad that it looks as if we're we're turning a corner and we have been able to go through that because if it had unraveled in that sense, I would have really feared we would have just the club would have been at such a terrible point. Um but I think that's that that's also sort of a reflection of, of how fragile the you know the the proceedings still are, you know, a couple of really bad results and then it's, it's disaster. And it was crazy to you know, the, the difference a win makes. And it does show how short-termism is, is really important because as much as we're all there for the long-term project with Arteta, if you lose against Chelsea, then you don't think you can beat Brighton or West Brom. A win against Chelsea changes that complexion entirely. So, yeah, I mean, as you say, that that sort of that uh re yeah rebuilding the the relationship between the fans and fans and the players and I know it's even been so much more difficult without being able to be at the Emirates uh, which is a massive thing as well which I don't think we can underestimate but yeah just briefly you know obviously the loss to Olympiacos in the Europa League that was that was pretty bad Um, you know the, the run that we've discussed You know, the losses to Leicester, Villa, Wolves, Burnley, all those home losses would have been really painful and was really painful for the fans, the players, Arteta. The whole Meza Erzl thing, again, the sooner we can draw a line under it, the better. That's been a a real drain, I think, of 2020, actually. Um, The William Saliba situation, I think, again, has not been a great reflection on the club. And, you know, it brings up all the questions of how we use our resources Um, how we manage football issues on and off the pitch. Discipline as well, I think it's been a bit of a difficult one. Again, it's sort of an embodiment of the tough period we've been on, but, you know, red cards to Pepe, Xhaka, Gabriel, David Luiz got quite a few. Um, But those sort of things are, are just the bad things of the year. But I think let's not dwell too much on those because we can look ahead. And as we say, you know, the clear out of players, Is invaluable for you know progressing with this cultural reset that Arteta really did start to make big strides in. Um, So yeah, I just before we finish up for today, it's been going for quite a while. um, How are we looking ahead to you know the rest of the year, the rest of the season? What are we anticipating? You know, when we're in in sort of a foresight kind of way, when we get to the end of the season, what are we going to look back on and say, "Well, this was a good thing of the season." You know, so what what's the goals for this season now? How can we look ahead positively?
1: I think the goals have to be just to continue progressing. I think it's it, at this stage of the season, and with the table in league terms as condensed as it is, it it would be. Naive, sh- stupid, whatever you want to label it, but it wouldn't be—it wouldn't make sense to label like eighth place, sit top six, top four mm. as a success because you know we're we're eleventh on twenty-three points, we're ten points off top of the league, which I'm not saying we're going to push for the title, but that's not a big gap between first and eleventh, and we're level on points with Leeds, who are in twelfth. And yet we're only nine, ten points off the bottom three. So, in t- in, a, in terms of the league, I think success would just be progressing, just win the games that Arsenal Football Club are expected to win. Let's stop mm-hmm. losing home games stupidly, like we've done recently. Uh, let's let's re- the Emirates used to be not so long ago. I mean, only a year and a half, two years ago, a real fortress. People. Mm. Yeah, we'd lose maybe one or two home games a season at, at worst. And now we've already lost, I think, four home games or five home games this season.
0: Yeah, I remember Bengals' yeah. final season and Emery's, you know, we, our home record was like second, third best in the league. It was just our away form, which was diabolical. Um,
1: we, yeah. we lost two home games, I think, in Emery's first season. Yeah. Um, it was the one to Palace and then the first day of the season against Man City. Mm. And and so, you know, we, we th- that was two seasons ago. We were a really tough team to beat at home, and I I think a real positive for me, twenty twenty one, would be seeing that kind of fortress like, um, atmosphere and record put back into the Emirates teams being scared to come and play us at home. Mm. And then I just think continuing building this squad, the young players, giving them opportunities. If we could get a cup run, whether that's the FA Cup or the Europa League, it goes without saying that that's, that's an added bonus and, and no one doesn't like a cup run. Mm. But um, yeah, just just keep building momentum, get the squad in a healthy position. So come the start of next season, we can realistically say, right, this season we're going to push on and get top four, top six. Without mm. a doubt, we're going to start to assert some dominance that we've lacked for the last few seasons.
0: Yeah and I think that is that's the key for the rest of the year or things that I think we can measure our success or whether this season's success success or failure. You know, I think yes, we should be aiming for uh, European football this year. I think we should try and give the Europa League a proper go because that sort of didn't go anywhere last year and I think that was a good opportunity against Olympiacos and the sort of team that we've developed being a bit of a cup team it was a shame to crash out in that fashion but yeah I want to see a progression of the team I want to see the squad being again like you say behind the scenes getting players out and the summer getting players in that we want to get in and so we're in a position next year to sort of see like right we can stop worrying about all this rubbish behind the scenes and instability and unrest between you know players who aren't playing get rid of all of that and then next season we can be in a healthy position to sort of push on and start establishing what sort of team we're going to be under Arteta, who who we're going to be. Um, so, yeah, I think for the rest of the season, I just want to see these young players push on. I want to see partnerships across the pitch being developed. I want to see a more connected Arsenal, basically. And I know there's still a couple of players that we probably need to bring in in positions that are important, but I think that's when... know, Arteta can start to be assessed as the job that he's doing because I don't want him to be hamstrung by previous managers' work, all the mess that's been left behind. We need to leave that behind and sort of draw a line under it and hopefully we can and then we can start pushing on as a team and as a club. But as we say, results are sort of king and we can all believe and and sort of strive for the long-term future and 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 building over a long period of time and it's not going to be easy first of all but you need results in the short term to to instill confidence and belief among the players fans everyone around the club um so I think the balancing act of the short term the medium and the long term is is really important that something that Arsenal look to slowly hopefully be doing now but I think you know the the struggles of the last couple of months have been sort of symbolic of how difficult that balancing act is. And it's been a consequence of trying to sort of get, you know, catapult ourselves back into the Champions League straight away, but also try and develop these young players with a long-term cultural reset. It's, It's a really fine, fine margins to balance, but hopefully we can do that better. And it's a difficult thing to do, but I think that can be a positive for 2021, you know, sort of, uh, yeah, re-establish who Arsenal Football Club are as a as a club, as a team. You know what's our identity, and hopefully, with this manager and without the players who we've been talking about, we can do that with a with a really promising crop of young players. So, anything else that you want to sort of um, add before we finish up today?
1: No, I think you we we've covered it pretty well. Hopefully. We get a good result this evening yes. against Newcastle. It's, uh, I guess that's the, the immediate focus, isn't it, for everyone? Is we've got a game, obviously, yeah. not, not long off, in four or five hours, I think, we kick off. So yeah, exactly. Be good to watch us. I've missed not having a game for the last week.
0: Yeah. In a, in, a, in a less sort of it's not so important, but we want to see a good performance. I think we will be disappointed if we lose, but you mm. know, it's nice to have a lesson sort of you know, the Premier League is so intense and so important and it's been so intense for the last few months to have a sort of clean break, a nice FA Cup game at home, build some momentum um, before, as you say, trying to start winning these home games against Crystal Palace and Newcastle. We've got the chance to do that. But yeah, why don't we just finish off sort of talking about who you think might start against Newcastle. Um, that's quite a fun thing to do. Predicted, predicted lineups. Ruin Runison. Are
1: we going to put Runison in goal? That would be a worry. Yeah. I'd rather see Arthur on a Kwanku start. <laughs> I know he's been training with the first team. He's made the step up. And so, honestly, anyone but Runison. Yeah. Um, but I think I think surely we'll probably see Cedric play. I'd be surprised if Maitland-Niles doesn't start, maybe as a left-wing back. Mm. Could see a back three. I, I, Gabriel will will come back in because he just to get minutes. David mm. Luiz, Mustafi could be a back three. Maybe Chambers ahead of Mustafi. Um, El Nani will start. I'm pretty certain. I, I also think Sobas will start mm. going forward. Martinelli, Willian or Pepe. Hopefully Pepe. Mm. Um, in Ketia, I mean, I would love to see Balogun start, but, you know, with his future so up in the air, his game time might be limited if if rumours are that he's already signed a pre-contract with another club. Mm. It might, Arteta might not be uh, incentivized to give him minutes if we know we're losing him in June. But, yeah, I think that will be the kind of team that we'll play. It's kind of a second, a second team. I mean, maybe Party will start to get minutes as well. Yeah. I think
0: there will be a blend of definitely sort of fringe players, some young players who need minutes. I think, you know, it would be good to see Martinelli get some minutes um, after being rested against Osbrom. Uh, Pepe, I think, needs to start and he will. Uh, you know, maybe Nketia. Yeah, I guess so. But, you know, there's rumors about West Ham being interested in him. He's had quite a lot of chances. Do you, Would you
1: sell him this this window?
0: I think if we got sort of a decent I don't know, he's got 18 months left of his contract. If we got an offer of say what, 20, 25 million and we could insert a nice sort of sell-on clause or buyback clause or something like that, that we've seen Liverpool do so effectively, I think we'd do it. And I mean, I was going to say 15 million at that point, but then I thought actually he's a sort of proven young goal scorer at you know, Premier League level and the international level. So I think we we would be within our rights to sort of command a fee of 2025, but maybe, who knows? I'm not sure, but yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to selling him. I mean, I quite like Nketiah, but, you know, are there other players who maybe we can see at the moment have more potential to 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 really push on? Having said that, if Balogun's definitely going, then maybe we don't sell Nketiah this this month. But yeah, I mean... I'd like to see Partey play some minutes and I think he will I don't know whether he'll start but maybe maybe he will and and or he'd come on for maybe it'd be better for him to come on for you know second half or something like that or start and then come off after half time um yeah I mean apart from that Maitland-Niles Suarez uh David Luiz I think you give the game to I'm not sure if Gabriel's going to be ready after, after the COVID thing, but I could be wrong with that. He is not training, obviously. Um,
1: he did and, tweet, I'm back. So I yeah, think he maybe, maybe, he, maybe he is back.
0: So yeah, uh, David Luiz and yeah. Gabriel at the back with Maitland-Niles and Cedric. And then you have Partey. Uh, I mean...
1: El Nene. I mean,
0: Willock, I'd like to see maybe El um, And then Pepe. I'd like to see Reese Nelson as well. But there's just so many players. that not that just... It should be quite obvious who would play today, but there's so many players who could play. Um, so yeah, exciting. And then we've got some we've got Premier League action resuming next week. So look, we'll leave it there for now. Um, thank you, as always, Johnny, for joining us. It's been great. You can find Johnny on Twitter at Johnny Rosen One, and be sure to follow Football Transfer News on Facebook. And football transfer news underscore official on Instagram. I hope I've got that right.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Get following, especially now we're in we're in a transfer window.
0: Absolutely. Well, well, maybe you can jump back on the pod. Sort of, uh, we'll, we'll do a little January transfer window special at the end, uh, at the end of the month. Not that maybe we're anticipating too much movement, but all the news, any movement, this man knows.
1: Be happy to. We've seen some big deals go through already. Haller to Ajax caught a <laughs> lot of people by surprise.
0: Yeah, well, isn't that an example of sort of, you know, the money came in, opportunists, they, he was their record signing, took half of it in this COVID mm. market. Could we maybe see something like that happen with Pepe in the summer? Who knows, but look, I'll be back on the pod next week. Plenty of football coming up, so plenty to discuss. Do let us know if you enjoyed today's episode. All listens, shares and feedback, much appreciated. Drop me a tweet at AlfieSteiner1 if you fancy it. As always, thank you for listening. Have a lovely weekend, week, whenever you do listen to this. And until next time, we'll leave it there. Goodbye.